Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hello and welcome to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Segel. I'm Greta Johnson here with Trisha Bobita and Peter Segel. We were talking this week about episode four of season six, Book of the Stranger. Hello. <laughs> I realized it was incumbent upon me to say something, so as to yeah. indicate my presence. Hello. That's I'm assuming your people thing were today. worried. Look, we're halfway into season, the second season we've been doing this, and every time it says Peter says something clever, I was going to go dry eventually. <laughs> so today is the day. I got nothing. So before we get to it, we do have a note about a little bit of a format breaker later on in this episode. Instead of taking your voicemails, we will actually be talking with David Peterson, who is who I like to call the Dothraki dude, the guy who creates the languages for Game of Thrones. Yes, indeed. I I was lucky enough to see uh, David give a presentation at a conference I went to and thought it was just the coolest. So we got him to talk to us. So, yeah, that's coming up later on this episode. But first, let's get to it with our show recap, shall we? Let's start at the wall because lots of interesting things are happening oh at the wall. Oh, my gosh. It's all happening at the wall. I was so wall. impressed, man. Like, within four <laughs> minutes, Jon Snow and Sansa were talking to each other. I know. And I was just like, oh, my God, this that, is actually really exciting. Were you, like, were you like kind of moved? Yeah. Because yeah. As, as if you, and I did again, watch the little post-episode show with the showrunners, mm-hmm. they point out something that we all knew. This is the first time that they have seen each other since pretty much episode one, season one. Yeah. And it is the first time that any Stark has been in the same room. And I know they were actually outside, but go with me here. <laughs> since the Red Wedding, when when Caitlin wow. and her son got killed together. It's been that long since the Starks have seen each other. We never should have left Winterfell. Don't you wish we could go back to the day we left? Not to scream at myself, don't go, you idiot. How could we know? And I love that they instantly sort of fall into this sibling chemistry. Can I ask you guys a question? They pl- they did this thing, and it's very, very standard in film and TV, which is like, here am I, here are you. We haven't seen each other in a long time. We gaze at each other. We gaze at each other in silence. And then we suddenly fall into an embrace. Uh-huh. That's how it's done. Uh-huh. Have you ever seen anybody in life actually do that? And do you think that anybody in life would actually do that? Because if I like you, I'd run up and I'd hug you. If I didn't like you, I wouldn't. But I don't think I'd go, hmm, do I hug her? Do I hug her? Do I hug her? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) I took it just to be that they've actually physically changed a lot and grown up a lot. And so they were kind of trying to suss out, is that really John? Is that really Sansa from far away? I I think... You know, they hadn't seen each other in five years. Or something. So, something like that, ish. roughly, in the show-ish. Ish. Time in the show is ish. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> but I think there was a little bit of, like, I thought you were dead. Well, I was worried maybe you were dead, too, that, that you know, nothing is as it seems anymore. <laughs> I will also say this. They then did, again, the standard thing you do, which is you cut to a scene where it indicates they have spent however many necessary hours telling each other what they've been going through. Right, right. Because in their, in their conversation, they then obviously show knowledge of, like, you did this, you did that. That would have been an interesting conversation to listen to, <laughs> even though we had seen all the events that we'd have been discussing. And then you wouldn't believe I met this nice redhead girl. Really? Did you? I was raped by this. It would have been a call. It would have been. I have like, some battle wounds. They'll never hear, but ex- they'll, they'll never heal. But never worry. I'm also alive and shouldn't be. It, yeah, it would there's have been a lot a, to talk It would have about. been a great spinoff series. Just watching them have dinner. My dinner with Jon Snow. <laughs> I kept soup. getting really they had nervous. Soup. They had soup. 
I kept worrying that they were actually going to kiss. Like, there, it seemed like too much chemistry almost. I was like, is this going to get weird? <laughs> there was also that great moment where actually Sansa said, and this to me may be the greatest Sansa moment ever. I spent a lot of time thinking about what an ass I was to you. I wish I could change everything. We were children. I was awful, just admit it. <laughs> you were occasionally awful. <laughs> I'm sure I can't have been great fun always sulking in the corner while the rest of you played. Can you forgive me? There's nothing to forgive. Forgive me. All right. All right, I forgive you. <laughs> I was kind of awful. Uh-huh. Yes, Sansa. <laughs> yeah, and although she was apparently referring to her behavior as a child when she was haughty and standoffish and miserable... She's been pretty much awful almost up until this moment. So she could have said, I've, I was kind of awful during the first four and a half seasons. And we would have said, yes, yes, you were. Yes, you were. And then I love that Jon Snow said, yeah, and I was kind of brooding. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> what he did. He was, he was brooding. Yeah, I mean, I love self-knowledge. That... Thank you. <laughs> they're all they're becoming adult. They're becoming self-aware of the fact that all teenagers are terrible, including themselves as yes. teenagers. And I love that that she's the one... Now, with the sort of battle plan in her head, that yeah. she's the one that wants to go back to Winterfell. She wants to take an army back and beat Ramsay. And John needs some convincing. Yeah. You are the son of the last true Warden of the North. Northern families are loyal. They'll fight for you if you ask. A monster has taken our home and our brother. We have to go back to Winterfell and save them both. It is interesting to note that at the end of the last episode, as Trisha had predicted, uh, John said, I'm done. Snow out. <laughs> Mike dropped. Drop. Mike dropped. <laughs> heading, drop. And literally, I thought he was heading to the gate at the yeah, end of the last episode. Yeah, I thought episode. he was going to leave right then. No, but he was just going back to his chambers, which is like definitely the second set of this sitcom. Meanwhile, in John's chambers. And, <laughs> and what was going to keep him there? What was going to change his mind? Sansa, of all people. Sansa, the most passive helpless, annoying victim in this entire epic TV series is now the person who spurs to action. Yay, he said, with potential apologies to Nicole Cliff. (laughs) Never mind. We're also (laughs) seeing what I am thinking is probably the... uh relationship I'm most excited to see blossom on the show now, which is Tormund Redbeard. Oh, that was hilarious. There There were like three really great jokes. And that was the first one of Tormund Redbeard just staring Those at Brienne and chewing on whatever the hell he's chewing on. It was on. like a leg of a oh, it was or something. Awesome. That yeah. was and, and Brienne just sort of going, What the hell? That was hilarious. <laughs> but she's very fancy compared to the wildly woman. Oh, I know. And tall. <laughs> very and tall. tall. He's been looking for a woman all these years his own height. <laughs> I think also it's worth noting how many times John smiled in those first couple scenes. Well, it was, it was nice to you see know, I mean, he has been so serious some sisters for so and, long. Some sisters and brothers like each other, Greta. Perhaps <laughs> you become aware of this. I yes. also think it's funny that post dead John has a different hairstyle. That instead of the crazy curls, we now have the slicked back. Sort he's of got a man. Thing. He's got a man bun. He's got going like a hipster on. man bun going he's got on. A man, he actually looks like he's like. Where are you going to go, Jon Snow? I'm going to go to Brooklyn. I'm going to live in Williamsburg. Ride <laughs> yeah. a fixie. That's really he's set to go. <laughs> going south to Brooklyn. <laughs> so should we head to the Vale now? Oh, uh, before we leave, mm. there was an interesting, I think, foreshadowing of stuff to come when uh, Davos goes up to uh, Melisandre. 
and says, what happened to Shireen? Oh, Meaning yeah. he doesn't know what happened to Shireen. Mm. And when he finds out what happened to Shireen, oh, I had her burned alive at the stake. I think Davos is going to be mad. Yeah. But we deferred that moment because just at the moment when she was going to have to say something, Brienne walked up and said, I know what you two did and I am not happy about it, i.e. the shadow baby. I saw the blood magic and I don't forget or forgive. Forgive is what she said. So therefore, we are indicating that those three characters have some tension they're going to need to resolve, potentially violently. Davos is going to find out about Shireen and he's going to be mad and Brienne has not forgotten about the blood baby. I kind of thought, I mean, I guess the I will not forgive thing is indicative of something. But, I mean, the fact that she killed Stannis was sort of like, like that to me sort of seemed like, well, like, she really I got li- you anyway. She you really know? liked Renly. She really yeah, that's true. liked that's Renly. True. I don't think she's going to be like, ah, we'll call it even. <laughs> not Brienne's style. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. She Just doesn't saying let that, that's, that's a potential problem coming up. Yeah. I hope. Okay. So in the veil, we see yet another... He's back! Oh, my God. He was shooting an arrow poorly last time we saw him, yeah, wasn't I think he? There, or no, there, he there was, was a joke about his... his uh, he was sword fighting. Remember, I said, just like me, I'm like, ah, ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> and now they're trying in the archery and it's not going well. Um, that, that, the name of that character is Lord Yon Ro- Royce, by mm. the way. Yon. You know, <laughs> there you are. He's your favorite character, Greta. Mine? Yes. Why? Because you like yawns. <laughs> you do. Oh, yawn. I understand. Uh, yeah, there you are. It's I was thinking pun. yawn with like a silent J, you know? He he was, uh, I, I don't know who that actor is. I recognize him, but he's a pretty sad little lord. It's like he threatened <laughs> him a little. He's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here but comes. also the moon door. I mean, come on. The moon door is scary, you but know? he's a lord. Presumably he has soldiers too. Right. So he's not going to be intimidated by a bunch of guys. And the unblinking Peter Baelish. Little fingers Ooh, back. Little back. fingers back. And I don't think he has blinked once in this entire <laughs> television show. Uh, I am Peter Baelish and my eyes are fixed open. It is time to join the fray. Oh, my goodness. He was pretty dramatic about that. I mean, anything. I was super. Did you see that playing out that way? What exactly? I mean, the fact that, that he was able to go to the Vale and get a bunch of troops to help save Sansa. Like, they're going to go up to Winterfell and help fight this fight, you right? You think? Yeah. I mean, because he's always in it for himself. Remember that that uh, that Lord Yon Rice was telling your favorite character, Lord Yon, was <laughs> telling the truth. He said you were going off to to Winterfell to marry Sansa to this guy. Now you want to fight him, and then in that cool way, he has Baelish just lied. He has that voice. You know, that's not what happened. Anyway, <laughs> but he's trite. So, so our, our little finger is playing eight different games at once, and who knows what he's thinking, and who knows what he wants. Still, that power. still remains a mystery. He wants power. I know. I think he is still in love with Sansa. Ugh. And I think he wants to save her. No, you think I think you, he's going to prove himself some the good nobility. Guy. Yeah. Well, he always loved Catelyn so much. Yeah. You know, it's weird. I was, I was watching. I, this is what I was thinking about because I was in some sort of vintage store in Boston. Where are we going with this? Uh, we'll get there. And they had all these like vintage or overstock stuff. And one of them was some souvenirs from Game of Thrones. And they had house banners. But the only banner they had was House Baelish. <laughs> and I was looking. I was like, that is the lamest house. I'm not going to buy that. What's I would have. I totally would have bought any other house. Pretty I mean, much. you are Peter. Well, he's, he's like a little, it's a little bird, I believe. It's a little, a little bird. bird. Oh. And, um, it's like a little... and the reason Baelish is lame is because Baelish, <laughs> I think, of all the characters, is the one who's the most bloodless. And by that, I mean that he has nothing except, like, this pure motivation for power. You don't know why. Like, Ned was noble, 
and Robert Baratheon was dissolute, and Cersei is trying to save her children, and she's vain, and she's angry. Um, even Ramsay Bolton is a lunatic. But all all you get from Peter Baelish is he wants to be king, but you don't know why. I feel like he's the nerd. The nerd? <laughs> I think yeah. of him as the Snape a little. Yeah. That, oh, like, you, he's playing all the sides, and so even he's a little confused about where his loyalties lie, and he's taking care of the child of the woman he loved out of duty, but also for some plot. He didn't love her. Catwoman? Oh, no, no. Oh, I see. You, you, I thought you were talking about Lord Iron, little Robin. Little Robin, no, the no. limp mm-hmm. bow. No, he, everything he does is, is he loved Catelyn since he was a child, right. right? And she rejected him. And he designed his own right. sigil because he wasn't actually from a noble house. Right. And so there's a little bit of a like just an inferiority complex thing with him yeah. that's sort of like, I'll show all you rich pricks who were mean to me right. when I was a kid and who wouldn't marry me. Well, I, 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 see, the, I see the Snape the Snape comparison. Littlefinger as Snape. Let us know on Twitter if you agree or disagree. This reminds me, actually, someone tweeted at us. I haven't had time to really look at it, but they like assigned all of the Game of Thrones characters to the different houses. Did you guys spot this one on our on our little feed? Oh, to the different Harry Potter houses. Yeah, I think at this point, instead of like engaging in that, I think we just say to the people who did that, go outside, (laughs) get some exercise, (laughs) go for a bike ride, and listen to the podcast while you're doing those things. All right, Peter, that can be your new task for the next week. Just tell everybody to go outside. Go outside. Your Stop watching television and listening to podcasts about television. Get some <laughs> Don't stop. Air. Keep doing this. <laughs> where, where are we going next? Marine. Marine. Uh, was that lame? <laughs> I thought, I mean, I almost yawned. I thought that was pretty lame. I thought that, uh, you know, that first of all, who was that guy who said, I bought you for a silver stag or whatever oh, it was? Oh, yeah. He was the pirate guy that caught them when they were headed in the other direction, right? And right. he convinced so na- them now to he's not there. kill him. Now he's there as a... Representative of the slavers. Yeah, he got real importance. I see. That seems odd. We, we've also given up all pretense that these guys don't speak English. Yeah, yeah. also a lot of eyeliner. Oh, yeah. yeah. The These are the things I notice now that I watch on a television instead of on my phone. Uh-huh. The actors playing the slavers, a lot of eyeliner. Yeah. There, there the, is a the thriving is a thriving cosmetics business in Slavers Bank. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they should move into that as opposed to slavery. That's and I idea. also thought, I mean, uh, the notion that Tyrion would make him a deal, like you can keep your slaves for seven years. And they're like, oh, well, keeps them for seven years or what? Yeah. What is Tyrion going to do? To any of those people. Now, he doesn't know this, as we do, but there's a Dothraki army coming their way now. Yeah. But he doesn't know that. He's What leverage does he possibly have over these three other cities, who we have already been told that after Danny has moved on to Marine, the, the masters reasserted their control. So they're in charge. There's a war going on. And... Tyrion basically made gave them acceptable terms of surrender. I don't see that. Yeah, I mean, they did say that what they want is for the mercenaries and the dragons and Danny to leave. Right. So they are aware of the dragons being a potential threat, but that's the only thing that I guess is the unspoken. You yeah, know. I think I think before that becomes an actual you know leverage you can use, the the dragon has to fly around and burn some stuff, which yeah. he hasn't done yet. I mean, you need to sort of a little show of force here before they're going to be bowing, accepting anything. Right, that's suggests. the thing. I mean, if she already took over the cities with the dragons, like she doesn't have any exceptional s- strength or power beyond yeah. what she had when she ineffectively took them over the first time around, right. you know? And and as far as they know, not only does she not have any more power than she did or military power, any kind of power, she's not even there. So why are they agreeing to anything when they were like stroking their pointy beards and going, hmm, that's an interesting offer. I'm like, no, you wouldn't be. Yeah, that whole <laughs> scene I thought was 
unnecessary. Yes. I did like the moment right before it where you see, again, sort of how out of touch Tyrion is, where he says, My own recent experience with slavery has taught me the horrors of that institution. How many days we were slave? Long enough to know. Not long enough to understand. I did write down the phrase silver hair and tits, just because I did kind of like that. Somebody said that? Mm-hmm. Oh, just yeah. because your master has silver hair and tits doesn't mean she's not your master. Yeah, that, there you go. Trish that was, is so that's, good. That's, that's, that's epigrammatic. I'm gonna, I'm, if I was graduating from high school, I would put that as my yearbook quote. <laughs> would you, <laughs> I would. Peter? Probably. Okay, good. It's, it's an interesting aphorism, but that's, that's a good point. So should we move along to the hillside? What do you mean where they were climbing up to yet another yeah, totally. perch? To, I, mean, yeah, I was wondering was about that because they had a whole it. business about, <sighs> you know, poor Jorah. <laughs> and then they get up there and they look and they see the establishing shot. And he says, well, over there, that's where they are. And then over here is the Eastern Market. Over there is the Western Market. He couldn't have just drawn that, drawn that in the sand when they were back down. Mm-hmm. And they have to climb all the way back down. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but there was a nice little byplay between, uh, between our two uh, lo- Sarah's Dario lover boy. was very rude to yeah. Jorah. Yeah. Yeah. I did like the, you must not have had much discipline as a child. None. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was pretty. Also, I think we've given up all pretense that this guy is anything other but a Dario, I mean, but like a California surfer guy. I mean, yeah, the way basically. he talks yeah. and he's got his hair going. I think he might be the most beautiful one. He is pretty cute. Even I, and I'm, uh, I'm conceding that he's a cute, cute feller. Yeah, he's nice. With his lady dagger. dagger. With his lady, the way he, the way he sort of kisses his lady dagger. <laughs> We're coming up on what I thought was the second well, actually, I think this technically in order was the third great joke because we skipped uh, we skipped town. Oh yes, we'll get to town. No, we're after moving to town is next. Town is next. Oh, yep. wh- when they were down and they were fighting, they're having their fist fight, and Jorah's getting the living shit kicked out of him, and he grabs the sand and he throws it in the <laughs> yeah. eye and he misses, and the guy goes, "What?" <laughs> that was a funny little bit. I did but, like that. Yeah. Well, let's get to town. But we forgot one thing, which is that the whole point of that byplay on that hillside. Was in like, oh, I'm teasing you, Jorah. You're old. You're tired, and I'm having sex with, with the queen, and you're not. Ha ha ha. Oh, you have grayscale, which was right. the whole point of the scene that Dario finds that right. out. Right. And uh, and if if I was just going to say this about Dario, because it was in, instantly his attitude toward Jorah changes, which is nice. It's probably why they had the scene. But if I knew that the person I was traveling with in close quarters yeah. had. A, a lethal disease that is transmitted by casual contact that turns you into a raving, horrible monster lunatic. Mm-hmm. I would probably keep more distance from that person yeah. than you subsequently see them do as they sneak about. As they sneak about, yes. there was a, there was quite a bit of sneaking about. There's quite a bit of sneaking and quite a bit of hiding together in little shadows. And I was, and I would I, I kept looking for Dario to sort of do the thing where he sort of looks at him and just sort of edges away a little bit. I would. <laughs> All right, coming up in just a minute, we'll head to the rest of the Seven Kingdoms. Stick with us. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hacia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at WBEZ.org slash events. 
You're listening to Nerdette Recaps Game of Thrones with Peter Sagal. I'm Trisha Bobita here with Greta Johnson and Peter Sagal. So, town, this was the one time I yawned was in town, now, actually. Now, why? Um, because I thought it was boring. Now, wait a minute. When we say town, do we mean the Red Keep? Or do we mean the, uh, the, the Sept, where they're keeping uh, our, our, our formerly forgotten queen and royal brother-in-law, brother? A fair question. Yeah. I think it was technically the Sept yes. where I yawned. Yes, with with Jonathan Price as the High Sparrow giving his origin story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. every zealot has, which yes. is the born again story. The born again story. <laughs> Although it was weird. It was a long story with not, I thought, a lot of a point. He talked about being a cobbler and then getting to be a successful cobbler and then throwing a big party and waking up with a hangover and going to hell with this and walking away. Could he have said that in about the period of time in which I said it? Yeah. <laughs> I think he might have, and I don't think it would have lacked for any dramatic or emotional impact if he had just put it that way. Although it is great to see Jonathan Price do anything, yeah. including lengthy origin story monologues. That's it was true. quite an origin story, though. I mean, just in terms of length. I, I felt that, too, that like the monologue could have been cut in half and still would have been just as good. Because what is he trying to convince Marjorie of? That she should reject the fineries of life? Yeah. And... That she should do what he did and walk out without his shoes. I mean, it's it doesn't make a lot of sense that that he's trying to convince her of anything. So, like, really, it feels like when he's doing these things, he's just pontificating. Assuming, and this is a number of assumptions, that the High Sparrow was telling the truth in his conversations to Tommen, and then Tommen was telling the truth in the conversation with his mother, is he mentally preparing her? Marjorie, for her walk of shame, because we find out later that that's what he has planned, which is right. going to spur spur his enemies in the Red Keep to, to action. The, you know, for that whole scene of Marjorie sitting there and listening to that monologue was uninteresting compared to the very short scene that followed in which she went in and found her brother, Loris, or Loris, who used to be pretty good looking. The Knight of Flowers has seen better days. He has, and I actually thought that was a more interesting scene because he's broken, which is nice to see that this is what happens to you if you throw you in a cell by yourself for a year or however long it's been. And Marjorie has balls. She's yeah. got the balls in the family. She's yeah. like, well, you know, this is not going to happen. We've got to be strong. You're like, yeah. My Ooh. note here says Game of Thrones is so good at making people look dirty. They really are. <laughs> I mean, just the high sparrow. I mean, it's like, you know, he probably, Jonathan Price is a wealthy, successful actor. He probably comes to the set in his nice suit, yeah. and great hair. It's all right. <laughs> Mr. Price, if you'd come into the trailer, we need to cover you with shit. Yeah. And they probably have shit sprayers, people who are like shit second spray. second assistant shit sprayers. <laughs> like spray tan, but Pretty much. They are, they are really good at covering people in filth. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive. Although no matter how much filth they all get covered in, and they do, Daenerys's hair is always perfect, mm-hmm. which Unsinged. I admire. Unsinged. Unsinged. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not just that. It's shampooed and conditioned. <laughs> I do think that uh, I love whenever we get to see the, the grandmother Tyrell. Yes, Diana Rigg. <laughs> She's just so good. And, and that interaction there, too, revealed something to me that I had maybe never thought through and realized, which is that Uncle Kevin. Yes. Uncle Kevin is actually the father of Lancel, who is the first sort of Lannister character we see become a brother monk of right. the High Who, Sparrows. by the way, didn't Cersei sleep with? Oh, yeah, yeah. a bunch. Totally. Yeah, a yeah, total yeah, bunch. A so lot. she was like having bunch. sex with her cousin. Yeah. When Which Jamie I guess by Cersei's away. standards is like not bad. That's like casual dating by her yeah, scale. Man. So I <laughs> yeah. guess that's okay. 
Yeah, and that he and also let's not forget Lancelot is the one who poisoned Robert Baratheon in the first place when they were out on the hunt, right? Or gave him too much wine, but maybe there was something in the wine. Yeah, Lancelot was. We're involved never really sure. He somehow. was involved in he that. He was plot. involved. There was another guy who got his throat punctured by the by the mountain in combat, but Lancelot was somehow involved. Yeah, so Lancelot is expiating sins out there. So but, we basically now have the Tyrell army is on its way to the Red Keep. Two questions. Well, actually, one question. He, to uh, the Sept? No, he says, uh, at one point, Jamie says, you have the second largest army in Westeros. What's yeah. the first? Is it theirs? I don't know. If it's theirs, why didn't they use it? Because the king has ordered not to. Right. He's told Kevin that he can't use his army because hmm. he's worried that there will be retaliation and that Marjorie will be hurt. Right. So to get around that little problem, they've decided to use the Tyrell army and Kevan Lannister, the hand of the king, will have nothing to do with it. Yes, he'll stand down. He'll stand down, whatever that means. Just Does letting... that just mean just like throw up your hands and go, oh, whatever? Yeah. Because, it's, because yeah. it's really hard to convince Tommen to do something different than he wants to do, except if you talk to him for 30 seconds. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a little strange. I mean, you know, this he is, even for a teenager, wimpy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think the other thing that's really bumming me out about King's Landing is that I love Jamie when he has potential to actually be a good guy. Yeah. And to watch him fight for Lannisters, I just find really He is one. He is one, but I just, you know, like his He's moments He's like all that's left. His moments with Brienne were so great or even him with Tyrion, right? When he's sort of like when he's when he's playing the other side as much as he is being his own horrible person. And yeah. and now I just feel like he's in this sort of like selfish, mired, like surrounded by people whining and not actually having any agency of his own. And well, just like, I don't Jamie, know. I mean, he's, he's, he, I mean, consider his position. Greta. I suppose. His father is dead, killed by his brother. And why? Because he helped his brother get out of prison. So he must feel pretty bad about that. Two of his children have been murdered. So I have a feeling he'd be sort of, you know, coming back to the familial fold, the embrace, yeah. if you will. And so I think his motivation at this point makes perfect sense. I mean, because Cersei is all he has in the world. Have a little sympathy. And Tommen. Oh, Tommen. <laughs> <laughs> the disdain in your oh, voice. Oh, God. He's, I mean, I oh, mean you know, give me Joffrey any day over oh, Tommen. No. Joffrey at least was interesting <laughs> and evil. Yeah, yeah. Tommen is like, oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, help me, mother. Oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you this. At least you got to take <laughs> off his crown. The second big joke, I think, chronologically of the show was the, the Grand Maester Pacell's exit. Yes. <laughs> after after um, you know, Cersei discovers him counseling the king, says you must leave, and he goes clink 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 clink. It was it was so Tim Conway in the yeah, old yeah, Color yeah, Burnett yeah, show, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest man in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just watching him go. Oh that was very funny. <laughs> so one noteworthy thing regarding the passage of time is Cersei says the trial is in a few days. Right. I just thought we would note that. Yes. I'm curious how many episodes that'll take for us to get to. Not One that it actually know. means anything, but yeah, I know. Just thought it was noteworthy. Yeah, it's in a few days. Right. Shall we head to the Iron Islands where there's a brief a, moment? A king's moot. A king's moot. Dorn. Wet, wet dorn, as we dorn. call it. It is pretty, pretty dank out yeah. there. Yeah. So obviously Theon is back, and they had a nice little moment, brother and sister. It was that's really a, a nice and, moment. That's a brother and sister that's more like Greta's brother and sister, <laughs> I think. So you may have felt a little more emotionally yeah. familiar yeah, that with that kind of dynamic. Uh -huh. Yeah, Yara's yeah. actually kind of 
not pleased that he's back, in part because she's like, oh, really? You want to rule now? I've been yeah. here holding down the fort and doing all the work, and you're going to show up, and because you're a boy, you get to be king? And he's like, yeah. no, 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 I don't no. want to be king. It does occur to me that the people of Slaver's Bay who need another way to make a living could sell their cosmetics, especially the shampoo, to the people <laughs> of the Iron Islands. <laughs> We're looking pretty dank. <laughs> it's that sea breeze, you know, yeah. that really gets those those waves going. Right. So we're going to have a king's moot. And that, of course, is the meeting where they decide they're king. We know this because we've seen the previews because Theon is there to help. How's he going to help? I don't. He's going to end up getting it, right? Ugh. No, I don't think so. You don't think so? Oh, no. this. Can I say this? This is so funny. There was an article in the New York Times about Alfie Allen, mm-hmm. the actor who plays Theon, visiting New York to be a part of an America's Cup racing crew. And I said, oh, how interesting. Alfie Allen, in addition to being an, a fine actor, is also an experienced sailor. No. They brought him over to use as ballast. <laughs> if you read the article in the New York Times, they say, well, what do you know about Sally? He says, I don't really know anything. But apparently somebody thought they could get publicity if Alfie Allen from Game of Thrones did helped out with the America's Cup. So he's, his job, Alfie Allen, and he's not a big guy, right. is to just sit there on the boat where they tell him to and not move. Which is some so weirdly in keeping with yeah, where Theon kind of is perfect. right now. I kind of yeah. love that, <laughs> Mr. Hilarious. Allen. We'd like you to come to New York and just just act as ballast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah, I think that Yara stays in charge because we've been seeing a theme. The tagline of the show, that's as true. we recall, "All men must die." Yes. We have uh, a woman in charge in Dorne. We may soon have a woman in charge on the Iron Islands. Sansa seems like she's probably the one who's going to, like, stay in Winterfell if they win in Winterfell. I, I, by the way, uh, calling for a prediction, are we heading for a, a, a moment uh, like, I'm trying to think, the death of uh, uh, Beatrix Lestrange in Harry Potter, which was done by Mrs. Weasley, if you remember? Yes. Are we yes. looking? Are we heading for... Yes, says Greta. It was so good. Uh, yeah. Are we heading for that kind of moment with Sansa and Ramsay? I think so. You think Sansa's going to deliver the blow, as it were? I think so. That I think would be satisfying. She's going to say, not my brother, you bitch. That would be awesome. <laughs> I am no man, she could say. Right? There's a lot of things she could say. Yeah, I do think... You killed my father. Oh. I am I am Sansa Stark. You killed my father, <laughs> more or less. To die. Prepared, Prepared to die. To die. That would be I am Sansa Stark. Your father killed my brother while my mother was then killed by someone else with his participation... <laughs> Prepare to long. die. <laughs> it's not doesn't roll off the tongue no, quite as well. Really, no, not really. Really but we're doesn't. looking forward to that. Also, I would vote for Mandy Patinkin to join the show in oh, some absolutely. way, in any yeah. way, really. So at this point, I would like it to be. I would like Game of Thrones to be like the old Batman series where they were climbing up walls <laughs> and celebrities would stick their heads out the windows. <laughs> I, that, I think we have gotten to the point where we're, all of us would just love that so much. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway. We have to be good nerds, but we can get like Colbert and oh, sure. Andy Patinkin. People we know are fans of the show. Oh, yeah, probably. that'd be awesome. That'd be fun. Okay. I don't know where they'd be. But anyway, moving on. In Winterfell. In Winterfell. Oh, apparently one of the things they're doing is they're saying, we're moving toward the end of this TV show. We're in the third act. Time for people to die. Yep. Everybody, nobody gets to like, oh, what happened to her? Oh, she retired. She has a nice little cottage somewhere. She grows vegetables. Nope. Sorry, Asha. Asha, right? That was her name. Osha. 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 Yeah, there was, she's Osha and then, yeah, yeah, Osha. And who I will always think of is Tonks. <laughs> because she played Tonks in the Harry Potter movies. That's right. That's right. Uh, got it. I could not figure out the geography of knives. Mm-hmm. She yeah. was great. He had a knife, which he was, he had somehow acquired an apple in the middle of winter. Um <laughs> It's all right. <laughs> Looked good. He's eating his apple. He's got a knife. She grabs for a knife 
but he has his knife. So what knife was she grabbing for? There was like another knife in the table? I think he put down the apple and the knife, but then he just had a bonus knife. That's what I figured happened. Yeah, yeah. he it just kind of like, like pulled it out of the then, yeah. But then he had this totally cold moment of wiping her blood off the knife and then she's mm-hmm. it back on the apple. So mm-hmm. the assumption is it's the same knife. I, it's not really that important. I think the other <laughs> knife was not the peeling knife it was the like bread knife it was like the knife and fork mm, knife from okay. his, his it's leftover food but did we knife. really have to get rid of her that quickly couldn't she have hung around and been kind of insouciant and i think it does show the urgency of the fact that sansa and john need to get down there stat yeah. you know yeah. like ramsey is not screwing around with this no yeah and it, yeah it did let us know that ramsey knows that there's they're trying some sort of trojan horse game by having rickon and osha there that they weren't there to actually just give Rickon away, that they were there to try to Wait a minute. Know, do Ooh, slow down. What? So have you looked into the Northern Lords theory at all? No. So there's a great theory that I think makes total sense, that the Northern Lords are all still totally with... The Starks. With the Starks. Yeah, as they would and be. And that Umber didn't take a knee because he literally refuses to take a knee. And this is like a weird little shell kind of cooperation with the Boltons... And they're essentially just waiting until Sansa and John can get back. Oh, I see. And then so, but why, in, under that theory, why would Lord Umber uh, bring? Well, he's uh, got to do something to actually gain Ramsay's trust, right? right. But, and but, yeah, there is still but, a but and putting, that's the part. If they're loyal to the Starks, he decides to play Ramsay Bolton by giving him a Stark. That's the part that worries me, especially because you he didn't know, say was, it was a good plan. I was talking to someone about it, and they were like, "Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he'll he'll probably keep Rickon alive, right? Because that's how you know, like that's the best bargaining tool. But like we well know that Boltons can do quite a bit to a person and still keep them alive. That's true, you know, it would be so, cool. Yeah. It would be cool to have um, Jon Snow or maybe even. Even Sansa do one of those Aragorn in front of the Black Gates type speeches to the Northern Lords. You know? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Wildlings and the Northern Lords got together and helped take down Winterfell. That would I be think fun. that would be. Pretty and remember, sweet. we all we do remember that Melisandre said that she saw when she f- saw that John was dead. She said, "This can't be." I saw him in the flames fighting at Winterfell. Like I said, third act, things are moving, and that's almost a weird feeling with this show. It is weird. <laughs> that things are actually moving toward conclusions, not necessarily the final conclusion, which will happen at the end. of. We decided there's going to be one and a half more seasons after this. HBO says one. they haven't decided yet, but the showrunners mm-hmm. say that really, yeah, one more season, one more extended season right. maybe after and the so one we're in. Things yeah. are, there's this huge creaking kind of aircraft carrier turning sense of changing momentum toward... <laughs> Final confrontations, i.e., John and Sansa now are arrayed against Ramsay, which, by the way, just to say in passing, that's where we more or less ended the book. One of the last things we saw in the book, last book published, was that really great letter. To the traitor and bastard Jon Snow, you allowed thousands of wildlings past the wall. You have betrayed your own kind. You have betrayed the North. Winterfell is mine, bastard. Come and see. Your brother Rickon is in my dungeon. His direwolf skin is on my floor. Come and see. I want my bride back. Send her to me, bastard, and I will not trouble you or your wildling lovers. Keep her from me, and I will ride north and slaughter every wildling man, woman, and babe living under your protection. You will watch as I skin them living. You... Go on. Just more of the same. Come and see. Come and see. That's pretty creepy. Super creepy. Super creepy. So, yeah, we're heading toward a confrontation there. And are we moving back to um, Vase and Dothrak? Yes. Yeah, it's time. I want a little credit. A little credit. (laughs) 
I want a little credit. Not as much credit as Trisha got for calling the Oath Keeper thing, but I want a little credit because yeah. I said something to the effect of, if Sarah's lover boy just rescue her, mm-hmm. that would be boring. It would yep. be more interesting if they show up, it goes wrong, she says no, 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 and does something much cooler and bigger on her own. And she did. And That's she what did. Happened. Yes. Thanks to some strangely flammable dirt. <laughs> <laughs> that scene, did it seem really low budget to you? Yeah, strangely, like, yes. The way the fire and everybody kind of cowering, it was just like, what is this? Yeah. I think, again, was... this is a problem of having a larger is television. That what it is? The larger the TV you watch it on, the dumber it all is. No, you looks. needed a guy on fire. Seriously? You needed, yeah, a, there you wasn't needed a guy at least on fire, one guy right. on fire, and yeah. none of this, oh, no, big like, eyes. Yeah, 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 it was just But really seriously, weird. All, I, all I could think of, all right, all right it's, it's like, a, what I don't know, Bronze Age technology. They use torches. Don't you think they'd be aware of the danger of things catching fire? And so she pushes over the brazier, which didn't seem like it was particularly stable to begin with because she just get – and the whole yep. place goes whoosh. Yep, totally. Don't they think they would have anticipated this perhaps? They and edited out the scene where they were all dousing it in gasoline. I know. <laughs> I'm sure somebody is going to write in and say, but don't you understand? She's a, um, she's a Targaryen and Targaryens have control over fire. But I don't know if that's established. Hmm. She's clearly immune. Now, did you guys – did you guys – as a dramatic moment that played out in the scenario that I sort of crudely laid out, she does something cool to solve the problem. Were you satisfied by that uh, solution? I think it works because as soon as she realizes that the women would be on her side and kind of remembers that the Dothraki were actually on her side when she was able to show them who she was and that she could, and that she understands that like great oratory can kind of sway this, these people and, and her powers can sway these people. Yeah. I th- I think it works. I think it makes sense that, you know, she's back where she first heard Khal uh, Drogo make that speech and she kind of recreates it doing a dramatic walk around. Yeah. It's a little confusing to me why they let her sort of do the speech. It's a little bit like a villain speech, yeah. right? Where it's like no one bothers <laughs> to interrupt or stop her really. Yeah. They just let her make this long monologue. And then they call her a bad word in Dothraki. Several and we were, times. Several and times. threatened to have their horses oh, take her. that was is, bad. Yeah. We were yeah. wondering about, the, before we started, the bad word that they use in Dothraki, yeah, they call her that right before she kills them all. Was that word referring to the same anatomical part that the English word does, or is it a word referring to something else in Dothraki with the same horrible, insulting implications? Like uh, Greta suggested, maybe it's a word that means legless horse. What's the worst thing a Dothraki <laughs> could call somebody else? <laughs> Like well, legless horse. Maybe uh, like a short-haired person. If we have a chance. Maybe. A sh- a sh- a, a, someone missing their beard. A yeah, well-shorn man. Yeah, could a be. Anyway, man. I had two problems with it, even though it did fulfill <laughs> what I hoped would be the dramatic arc. First of all, it's a superpower dodge. Yeah. She used her superpower, which mm-hmm. is that she's immune to flames, yeah. which I think is uh, not as interesting. It's like, when, how does Superman get out of it? Well, he flew away. Yeah. yeah. Most people can't fly away, although that's okay. The second thing is we've seen that before. Yeah, literally that. Literally that scene where she emerges from the flames and everybody goes, oh, my gosh. Also, and I think this is somewhat hilarious, this very morning, Greta and I got a Facebook message from a friend of mine, this guy who is a Marshall Scholar, one of the (laughs) smartest human beings I've ever met, um, spent a long time in Europe and Asia for the Ford Foundation. He was an expert on Soviet Russia. He's now the president of a university, smart guy, writes in with this lengthy complaint. It was lengthy. Because he believed that the nudity warning <laughs> prior to the show, spoiler. you know, there's a TV M, you know, includes violence, <laughs> nudity, 
was a spoiler because by the time you got to the scene with Danny at the end, you hadn't seen enough nudity. Therefore, you could anticipate her clothes being burned off, thus bad on you, HBO. Just want to say, guy who spent his time writing us this lengthy complaint, one of the smartest human beings I know. And this is what this TV show has done to him. Yep. First thing this morning. It was great. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty fun. I am also going to say, based on two things, first of all, I read a thing where Amelia Clark said, no more nudity, guys. Hmm. Uh, And secondly, just talking, as I said earlier, to um, Lena Headey, who played Cersei and talked about her walk of shame. I don't think those were her boobies. You know, my boyfriend said the same thing, but Amelia Clark has said that she does not use a body double, that that is all her. Really? She said that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I am shot down by Amelia Clark. With a bank shot off Trisha. <laughs> you know, I do think, I wonder the necessity of the nudity in that scene. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, maybe it would have been weirder if her clothes hadn't burned off. But well, well, then be... she's like the Hulk who gets to keep his pants yeah, when he transforms. Like, true. she can't actually the have clothes Hulk on. Who gets it, to keep his is, pants. That is, you make a good point. <laughs> that it would is be even little... more superhero Although, on dodge. the other hand, the fact that somehow her clothes didn't burn off in the conflagration would be no weirder than the fact that the sand was flammable. So, I think we just missed the scene where they doused everything in <laughs> some sort of accelerant. That's all. They were short the, on time. The arson investigators in Vestothrak are going to be hard at work. Hmm. How did this go up so quickly? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But, all right. But, so I'm, I'm just going to register a little bit of a complaint. It would have been cooler, for example, if um, she had been by force of her will and personality been able to convince the Doshkalin, the crones, to turn on their masters. That would have been fun. She had that little moment with that young one saying, he should have died sooner. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, these guys suck. (laughs) It would have been interesting to see that, but we got to move it along. And they said most of those things in Dothraki. And we're going to hear from David Peterson, the inventor of the Dothraki and Valerian languages, all the languages that are not English in Game of Thrones. This man is responsible for them. We'll talk to him in just a minute. Now joining us is somebody who contributes a tremendous amount to Game of Thrones, although you never see him. You hear his work, though. His name is David Peterson, and he is the conlanger, which is the term of art. That is, the guy who invented the foreign languages that you hear on Game of Thrones. David, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me. Good to, good to be here. My first question is, how does one get into the business of inventing languages, which you first did as a hobby? Is that right? Yeah, I was creating languages for about 10 years before I got the opportunity to get paid to do it. And it's important to understand that I don't think anybody who created languages, including myself, ever thought that we would get the opportunity to be paid to do it. It was really kind of happenstance that it happened. And in my case, it was first for Game of Thrones, which was pretty big. Yeah, man, that's a pretty good first one. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good gig. <laughs> yeah, it probably led either directly or indirectly to every single other job I had afterwards. You know, much bigger deal if your first show is Game of Thrones than something like uh, Starcrossed on the CW. How does one <laughs> find oneself... As a hobby, inventing languages. Was painting little military miniatures not nerdy enough for you? Oh, you know, a friend of mine did that. And it seemed <laughs> it seemed really nerdy, honestly. <laughs> you were like, I'm never going to do that. Yeah. I'm going to sit around in my house and invent fake languages. That'll get me laid. Yeah. Is that what you said to yourself? Well, I, you know, I started when I was um, a linguistics major in college. 
And the only time I'd ever heard of anybody creating a language before was Esperanto. And in that case, the language was created for international communication. So I thought that I was the first person ever to create languages just for fun or just for my own personal use. And so I, I was quite struck when I met the uh, members of the language creation community, uh, some, you know, many decades older than I was. I could talk to you all day about the pleasures of, of creating languages, but I, we, we obviously were interested in Game of Thrones. So we wanted mm-hmm. to talk to you about the job that you were given. So they came to you and they, I'm assuming now you can tell me, they said, hi, we're producing this TV show. It's based on these fantasy books you may be familiar with. We need you to invent languages for these people. Was it f- at first Dothraki? Was that the job? Or did they also say, we're going to need you to do High Valyrian and whatever else may come up? No, this was just Dothraki because this was just for the internal pilot that they showed to HBO in order to convince them to greenlight the series. And of course, they didn't come to me. I, I guess I forgot to mention this, but it was a, a competition amongst language creators. The Language Creation Society ran the competition since they were language creators and, and knew what they were doing, but it wasn't a very good bid process in that <laughs> um, the bids that we did was essentially do the entire job and then we'll decide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you were like, okay. Had you heard of Game of Thrones before you got this assignment or heard of this assignment? I, I had heard of it because my wife was a, a big reader of, of science fiction and fantasy. And um, I'd heard of these books through reputation, namely that the author was had a penchant for, for killing off your favorite characters <laughs> and that you probably shouldn't start reading them because they're not done yet. Right. <laughs> yes. Man, Good advice. Clever, clever human. At the risk of asking you to be a modest, why did you win this competition, do you think? Why did they pick you? Well, it was an open-ended competition, so I think that some of those who competed did the amount of work that they should have been asked to do. <laughs> they had more self-respect about working for free, is what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> which is, here's some, here's some samples of what I might provide you mm-hmm. if you, in due course, hire me, as you should in a free market, to perform this work for you, as opposed Indeed. to... And just, you just did the whole thing, is that what you're saying? Here's your dictionary. There was no limit on the amount of material you could provide. So when I when I saw that, I was like, okay, well, obviously this is a cold war now. (laughs) Massive retaliation. (laughs) And so it's like I realized that there was going to be one person who was going to do the most work possible. And so I figured, well, I guess that might as well be me because I really want this job. And so I did. One of the things that I've always heard is that language creates thought. Like I know this from Orwell, that if you change the language, you change what people can think. Did you, when you started thinking about Dothraki in addition to issues of grammar, and by the way, I recommend uh, both you you've published a Dothraki glossary dictionary and also a new book, The Art of Creating a Language, I think it's called. Art of Language Invention. The Art of Language Invention, which gets into amazing technical detail uh, about how this is done. And it's really amazing and impressive and incomprehensible to me. But did you, just just to be honest, yeah. but did you think to yourself, what do the Dothraki people think? What do they need to talk about? For example, you would assume they would have, much as the cliche about Eskimos and snow, that they would have 50 words for horse. Did you put yourself in that kind of mindset, like a dramatic kind of thinking? I can give you a super long answer to this question, but I'll try to give you the short one. In effect, Orwell is wrong. No, you cannot control thought with language to that extent. Uh, The extent to which our languages actually shape our our worldviews or perceptions, the extent is very, very minor and very, very technical. Just to give you a quick example, I I forget the company, but somebody mentioned that this company called (laughs) called, uh, when somebody was being fired or laid off, they called it graduating. Uh, 
Which sounds wonderful, but I mean, I don't care what you call it. You cannot trick people into not realizing that they're being fired. You know, language is not that powerful. Um, I love the idea that David Peterson Conlanger has just called bullshit on George Orwell. I think that's great. (laughs) Let the word go forth. I don't, I don't know. I feel like that's really interesting, especially, you know, we gave you a couple of sentences to translate, which we're going to get to in just yeah. a second. But I thought it was really interesting. You said that there are no words for please or thank you or sorry in Dothraki. And I feel like that tells you a lot about the Dothraki people, though, right? Oh, yeah. No, it, I mean, it does. Like, it tells you something about the culture is what I'm saying. It's like because there is the language and then there's how people choose to use it. Okay. Like, for example, it tells you something about the culture of of that job uh, or that company that they decided to use graduate sure. right. for for being fired. It tells you something about uh, the the actual choices that they're making in the way that they decide to present themselves. So that's kind of the thing with Dothraki, where it's like if you're talking about kind of a stereotypical conversation between the Dothraki men and the Dothraki warriors, they choose to present themselves in a very specific way. And so it's like if you want to if you want to gel with that, then you too have to present yourself in a very specific specific way in order to you know, not wow. be killed. Which just goes to show I do very poorly in, 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 <laughs> in Vase well, of Rock. I give you I give you kind of the equivalent of that in one of these phrases when we get to well, it. Sh- shall we go through them? Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah, I'll do tell it. You it, it. It was Greta's idea, I think, that we should come up with, I mean, because you've published dictionaries and glossaries for people who are interested in the language and the technique of creating Dothraki, as well as your other languages. But we thought what we could really be useful is a phrase book in case you end up there. Yeah, there you go. In the classic. If your dragon Berlitz. drops you off. Exactly, which happens. <laughs> so I, I wrote down some phrases that might come up if I, for example, ended up in the Dothraki Sea. So here we go, and we've asked you to translate them, and you'll provide the translation. Here we go. So we'll start yeah. with Hello, how are you? That's, that sounds vaguely it sounds friendly. Like Dothraki. That sounds vaguely friendly. It still friendly. sounds a little menacing, but yeah. Yeah, a little menacing. A little menacing. My name is Peter. What is your name? Again, very friendly so far. Where may I find something to eat that is not horse? I did not mean to insult your food. I am sorry. So if a Dothraki does have to apologize or to make amends or to say something like, okay, my bad, my bad, what did they say? Did did you include that? Or did the scriptwriters never ask you to say that? (laughs) Well, of course, it it never comes up. Nobody's apologizing in Game of Thrones. But um, (laughs) this is uh, this is how I translated that. So what that means is I have shamed myself. Oh, wow. That's something I would probably say. Yeah, Peter does shame <laughs> also himself useful for the phrase. <laughs> yeah, I, I would also soiled myself. I think there are a lot of things, <laughs> sort of transitive so verbs. So that's a reflexive right? Yeah, Exactly, reflexive <laughs> yeah, verbs. Yeah, it is. All right, reflexive. all right, all right. Did you, and, and parenthetically, before we move on, we have more. They obviously, they send you the scripts. You talked about this in your presentation. I saw they send yes. you the scripts. This is what we want the characters to say here. It is in English. Please translate it. I'm assuming that you've gone far beyond that, that you've come up with words, phrases, cases grammar for stuff that hasn't come up in the scripts yet oh, only yeah. because you seem like a real completist i mean you got to have the whole thing you got to have the whole thing <laughs> second the second you're translating one full sentence you need the entire grammar there because all of it 
hangs together. I mean, one construction will depend maybe crucially on a different one that doesn't exist. It may show up only once in the entire series, but it has to be there. Right. And then it also helps for doing other stuff. Like, for example, I have not used previously uh, the auxiliary for the kind of uh, perfect that has the reflexive attached to it. I've never used it before, but I needed it here today. So I, I have I have shamed myself, right? That's I what you're talking about? Really? Rayo, rayo. It's kind of like have or already or yet, and it's got the uh, reflexive built into it. All right. uh, and I created it, but I never used it until now. That's All right, well, cool. here's the next one, which is uh, after I did not mean to insult your food. The horse meat is delicious. Thank you. Dingavet razivi vezvena. But there is no thank you. Really, there is. I find that I, I find that odd. There's a story behind that. Please, actually. please. So uh, you know, when I was I was applying for this Dothraki competition, I produced over 300 pages of material that I sent to them, and then I gave them kind of a fun little bullet point list that was on one page. And one of the things I said is that Dothraki had X number of words for this, this, and that, but it doesn't have a word for please. And I think they liked that because then they changed the pilot script when they reshot uh, the bits of the pilot. And they added this line that Dothraki had no word for thank you, which I did not hmm. uh, Oh, that's anticipate. in the that's in the It's in the show. That's, that's in their the, directing. It's in the show. My gosh, I forgot yeah. about that. Huh. Yeah, but that one didn't come from me. That one came from them. But of course, after it became a part of the show and became canon, I felt like, well, I guess I'd better keep to that then. Yeah. So, so when a Dothraki wants to express gratitude to somebody, they just kind of like Give them a thumbs up. I mean, what do they do? They it's just that head nod. The head you know? nod. Hey, that, man. Yeah. Hey. Or you say, or you say something like, you know, Yerjomoyan, you've honored me. Oh, okay. Oh, that's nice. We, we have so a couple it's honor more. and then shame. Well, I'll ask you to do one more, which is, I like your braid. It is very masculine. Did that work out? Were you able to handle that without having to to, to stretch? Uh, I mean, you can I, compliment people kinda, in Dothraki. I, I kind of coined a word on the fly there, which was masculine. But I think that w- if a Dothraki heard it, it would make sense to them. They'd probably, <laughs> they'd probably laugh at you for saying something a little silly, but it would make sense to them. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad they have a sense of humor. I think that's important. I'll, I'll just end with a compliment. I think that, like I said, looking through your books, the techniques that you use are literally beyond my comprehension. I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. But just as a civilian watching it, the, the absolute complexity makes it seem real in a way that the book certainly didn't. George R. R. Martin's half-hearted attempts to do it. And I can't think of any other created languages that have come across as uh, real as yours have. It just adds a tremendous amount to the enjoyment of the show, and I can't thank you enough for it. Well, thanks. I, I, I really appreciate it. It's always nice to know that there are people out there watching and, uh, and appreciating, as opposed to saying, why do I have to read these subtitles? And, 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 and in keeping with the Dothraki ethos, uh, I would be honored to eat your living beating heart. Is that something they would say? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It sounds about right. It sounds about right. Awesome. Well, David, thank you very much for joining us. This was really fun. Yeah, thank you for having me. Or in Valerian, since there's no thank you in Dothraki, Kirimbose. There you go. Oh, we, I'm sorry. We have to take another 20 minutes and talk about oh, High Valerian. No. Sorry, you brought it up. That's hilarious. No, next time. Thank you, David.
Thanks to David Peterson for joining us. We'll be back next week with more of your voicemails, listeners, so keep calling. Yes, we really want you to join the conversation. You can ask a question or suggest a topic for us to discuss on upcoming episodes of Nerdette Recaps. You can call us and leave a voicemail. The number is 312-948-4687. Or they can just do what they all seem to love to do, which is mm-hmm. point out my errors on Twitter. Yes, yeah, please keep really doing fun. that, too. It's fun for us. <laughs> yeah, he is at Peter Segel on Twitter, and we are at Nerdette Podcast. You can also find us online at nerdettepodcast.com, and we're on Facebook and all that good stuff, too. Throw some stars and write a review if you're feeling generous, as Fish2605 did on iTunes. They say that Peter is okay, too, you know, but patriarchy when they're saying nice things about our show. So, yes. Peter, you gotta, you're got okay. I'm okay. I am tolerable. <laughs> this show is produced by us with help from our WBEZ cohort, especially Joe Dassault and Robert Anderson. Thanks also to our interns, Maya Cole and Sebrin Mallard. Can I just point out, say, Sebrin Mallard is a great Game of Thrones name? It is a good Lord, name. Sir Sebrin Mallard. <laughs> of, he's of the house duckling. I have no idea. Sigil is definitely a duck. Oh, that's gotta be. <laughs> Joel Meyer is our executive producer, and our theme music was composed by Andrew Edwards of Blue Police Box Music. House Mallard. Our words are quack. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.